0: Hello, this is David Leet from Leet's Culinaria again, and welcome back to another episode of our Author's Answer series. This is a place, as you know, where cookbook authors and food writers can scoop their chairs up to the table and talk about their latest projects, whether it's a book or an article or any other kind of culinary creation. And do I have a treat for you today, and for me too, and I mean that literally. Parked in front of me is an unassuming box filled with all kinds of bakery treats. And the kind person who braved this winter morning in New York to bring them to me is none other than Joanne Chang. She's the author of Flower: Spectacular Recipes from Boston's Flower Bakery and Cafe. Welcome, Joanne.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Now, Joanne, tell me, what are some of these treats here?
1: Well, I brought the things that uh, sell the best at the bakery and also things that I thought that you might enjoy from our last visit. Um, I brought homemade Oreos, Mm. double chocolate cookies, our famous sticky buns, um, homemade Pop-Tarts, banana bread, and coconut macaroons.
0: And not only do these smell terrific, but Paul in the studio, (laughs) he is just absolutely (laughs) waiting to descend upon these when we're done. And Joanne and I met actually last year when I met a friend of mine at her bakery, Because I had your homemade Oreos.
1: Yes, I remember you loved them very much. (laughs) Which
0: has haunted my reverie ever since, if I must be true. And you actually gave me the recipe even before the book came out. And I made them at home, and they were fantastic.
1: Fantastic. I didn't know that.
0: I did. They were fantastic. I was so glad to see that you included them in the cookbook. Yes. Okay, so tell me. You are a Taiwanese-American woman. Correct. Raised in a very traditional home. Yes. Yet in a home where... Any kind of sweets were a rare occurrence.
1: We hardly ever had dessert. In fact, I didn't even realize that after dinner, most people usually have a dessert. (laughs) I had no idea there was another course.
0: Okay. And yet you turn out such amazing, divine American lusciousness. Now, explain that sort of dichotomy to me.
1: Well, I think what happened was um, I was brought up, as you said, in a traditional Taiwanese household, and we didn't have any sweets. And when I got old enough to go to my friends' houses, all of a sudden I realized, wow, people actually have another course after dinner. They sit and they'll have a bowl of ice cream or a slice of cake or a slice of pie. And that opened my eyes to a whole new world. I had no idea that there were all of these uh, sweets out there and treats, and I became uh, increasingly more obsessed with learning everything I could about desserts and about pastries. And so that's what I did. I started to buy cookbooks. I started to buy food magazines. Um, I would go to the grocery store and I would stand in front of the pastry case and just look at everything and think, oh my gosh, I want one of those and one of those, one of
0: those. And how old were you at this time?
1: I was probably about ten or eleven. It was that when I, young, yeah. When I first started to go to my friend's house, and and I would call my mom and say, "Hey, Linda wants me to stay for dinner. Can I stay for dinner?" <laughs> and we'd have dinner, and then we'd have pie. <laughs> <laughs> so I I really fell in love with um, sweets. Then it was when I was basically introduced to them, and at that point. Um, I started to dream about creating these sweets, even though I I tinkered around in the kitchen. I mean, a lot of kids when they're little will play around and help their parents. And I would always help my mom a little bit and cook dinner, um, help her with some of the prep. But because I kind of had this obsession with sweets, I started to buy cookbooks. And when I got a little bit older, probably 13, 14, 15, when you're a little bit more independent, you can do Mm -hmm. something a little bit more um, on your own, I started to bake cookies at home. Um, Very simple, just, you know, Nestle Toll House cookies. Um, but in my head, I started to really develop in my head what I thought all of these desserts that I'd read about you know, all this time, what they should taste like. And
0: where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Texas.
0: You did? Okay.
1: Yes. And so I um, ended up leaving Texas to go to Harvard, where I got a degree in applied math economics. Didn't really think about baking as a career, but I was always thinking about sweets and desserts.
0: Okay. Now, Tell me, I think it's very interesting when you flip through the cookbook and when you're browsing that wonderfully tantalizing window at the bakery, that a lot of your desserts and a lot of your bakery treats and also breakfast treats really rely upon childhood memories or childhood favorites. Um, And I really respond to that too. So talk to me about, for instance, the homemade Oreos or the homemade Pop-Tarts. Why did you go in that direction?
1: So... This friend, Linda, that I was telling you about, um, her mom used to pack Pop-Tarts in her lunchbox. And I remember we would sit together on the bus, and I would pull out like a little red bean bao, which is a traditional Taiwanese dessert, Chinese dessert, which now I love. But at the time, I was like, oh, not another bao. And I would look over at Linda, and she would have this really cool thing in a little silver pouch and she'd open it up and it'd be covered in sprinkles. I'd be like, I want one of those. Um, but I, you know, I'm sure I had a bite or two of hers, but I definitely didn't have them, um, like, all the time. So when it came time, when I became a professional pastry chef and when it, when, it came time, when it came time for me to open my own place and I started to develop the menu that I wanted at my bakery, I thought of all of these treats that I had grown up knowing about but not really knowing what they tasted like. And I thought, Wow. If I could create them, what would they taste like? Mm -hmm. And so, for example, with the Pop-Tart, now I know the real Pop-Tart. It's got a little bit of a... uh, Uh, How do I say this? It's kind of a a firm crust, Mm -hmm. um, and the inside is very sweet. Um, And I just thought, you know, I'm going to refashion this with a really flaky pie crust that's made with pure butter that has just a pinch of salt to kind of cut through all that sweetness. I'm going to put in some fresh raspberry jam, and then I'm going to glaze it with a fresh vanilla glaze, and that's it. Now
0: tell me, I'm very curious when you said that the Pop-Tarts, the original that we grew up eating, or at least I did, maybe (laughs) not so much you, uh, were very sweet. What culturally, how different was it between what you had in your home whenever you had any kind of traditional treats and American treats? There has to be a difference in the sugar.
1: Absolutely. American treats are so much sweeter than most Asian desserts and definitely the Taiwanese desserts. There's very few Taiwanese desserts, um, but the ones that I had are not very sweet. And typically we would end like a fancy meal with actually just fruits, just fresh fruit.
0: And did that sort of impact Your baking—did you pull back on some sugar?
1: Absolutely, and not even consciously. You know, it's funny that you say that because I don't recognize that my desserts and my pastries are less sweet than typical American sweets. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually my customers, and then mostly my husband, who's always telling me, "Wow, this is really great," and it's because it's not so sweet. And I don't even realize I'm doing that, but. For my taste, it's just hard to bite into something that's super, super sugary.
0: And it's interesting because when I wrote my cookbook, I had 14 recipe testers, and one of them was an Asian woman Ah. from China. And when the desserts came, she just leveled me with really (laughs) bad reviews as well as scores. That's so funny. Where all of the Americans were just through the roof. And I didn't understand oh, it funny. at first. And then we finally chatted. And I think she didn't quite realize, like you, it was more of a cultural thing. Right. And right. I had to put together that, okay, I have to take that into consideration when looking at her scores and looking at her reviews, because she just felt all of them were too sweet. And right. I had cut back a tremendous amount on sugar based upon the Portuguese who are, who like even sweeter desserts than Americans. Exactly. So it's interesting. Wow. Wow. So tell me, what are, of course, we have here, like you said, the sticky bun, we have the Pop-Tart, we've got the Oreos, we also have, what's underneath there?
1: That is the double chocolate cookie.
0: Oh, good gosh. And here we have a- That's the
1: coconut macaroon. Macaroon. Mm -hmm.
0: So in the cookbook, what are some of your favorite-
1: Definitely in this box are some of my favorites, which is why I brought them, because I wanted you to try them. Um, I would say the homemade Fig Newton, again, mm. a refashioning like of a, a very traditional... Childhood um, classic. Yeah, a childhood classic. Um, for me, the, the Fig Newton that we make in this book is so good. It's a fresh fig jam. You boil figs with a little bit of brown sugar, some butter, a little bit of cinnamon, a little bit of vanilla, and you boil it until it thickens and kind of caramelizes, and then you make this vanilla shortbread that just it melts in your mouth. It is so, so delicate.
0: So do they have the traditional shape of a Fig Newton?
1: Sort of. You definitely could if you wanted. You could roll it out and make it skinny and long and then cut like the little pieces like, like they sell um, in Nabisco. But the ones that I do act- are bigger. We just do them bigger um, because because they're really good. <laughs> I like them bigger.
0: And are they very popular in the bakery also? We
1: don't actually make them at the bakery because uh, fresh figs are so hard for us to find. Of course. So that is a a bit of a challenge for this recipe. Okay. But when when it is fig season and when you can get them, I highly recommend.
0: And what else do you... The, in the book.
1: I love the pear and cranberry crostata. It's also a really excellent recipe that I've been making for I want to say like 15, 16, 17 years. Um, I bring it everywhere I go. It's a holiday dessert. And it's one of those desserts that regardless, wherever I am, I open up the box and you hear all conversations stop and everyone say, <laughs> wow. And then it happens again when everybody eats it.
0: Oh, double wow.
1: Exactly, double wow. And a lot of people have been making this uh, crustata from the book um, and emailing me and letting me know that you know it's been the big hit of their holiday um, celebration. So it's definitely one of my favorites.
0: Now, has the sale of the book decreased or increased the traffic to the bakery?
1: At this point... It's hard to say, the book's only been out for about just under three months. Um, and we just went through our holiday season. So we were really, really busy. But I don't know if that was because of the book or because it was the holidays. Okay. So probably it will end up, incre- I, would, I would assume it would end up increasing our traffic.
0: Because I think basically it's a calling card. Right.
1: <laughs> Not everyone's going to want to bake exactly. these incredible
0: treats so they can come in and eat them. Right. Of course, I wouldn't want to go home and bake them. <laughs> now, let's talk a little bit more about your training. Now, you weren't formally trained. Correct. Okay. And you are a Harvard-educated mathematician. Yes. Now, how long were you a mathematician?
1: Well, I... I I studied math at Harvard. So for four years, I got a degree in applied math and economics. And? and then I spent two years as a management consultant. So using my math, using my computer skills and my analytical skills um, as a consultant, but just for two years. Um, and then it was at the end of my second year of a, as a consultant that I got into the food business and I worked in a restaurant. And
0: then where did you get your baking chops from?
1: So my baking chops um, come from my very first baking job. I worked with uh, pastry chef Rick Katz. He owned a bakery called Bentonwood Bakery in Newton Center, which is a suburb of Boston. Sure. And I was there for a year. Um, I also was the pastry chef at Rialto. I did that for two years. Rialto's in Cambridge, and I was working under chef Jody Adams. And that's actually where I met my husband, Christopher. Okay. He was the general manager. Um, and then I also came here to New York City and worked with Francois Payer and helped him open payard patisserie
0: so a lot of our listeners and a lot of readers of Leeds culinaria are food writers and wannabe cookbook authors so tell me if there was one thing you could do differently in this whole escapade of writing a cookbook what would it be
1: wow that's a really good question um You know, I think when you are reading, for me at least, so I wrote all of these recipes and then we sent them to, you know, and then we put them all together into a manuscript, sent them to the publisher, they sent it back. And after a while, and I'm sure this this happens, and this must have happened to you, after a while the words just all start to look the same. And you get to this point where you're like, I'm not going to reread that because I liked it last time, I'm sure I'm going to like it this time. What I would have done differently, and I don't know how I would have done this, but I would have loved to be able to put it aside for... A month or two. Mm -hmm. And then even go somewhere maybe physically different and read it fresh. Because there are certain things now that I read that I think, oh, I wish I had said it like this, or I wish I had stressed this. But because the recipe had been in my head for the last year, I just kind of um, maybe gleaned over it a little bit and didn't really put in all of the words that I wanted. Right. So it's just one of those things, and I I knew this would happen. That um, I never wanted to give the book up when it came time to turn it in. Everybody was like, "You must be so excited!" And I was like, "No, I'm filled with dread because I want to keep working on it."
0: Did you go through postpartum depression? I did.
1: I did, too. did you? I, I did. did. No
0: one tells you. No one tells you. <laughs> they, someone should write a book about yes, how to write a cookbook. Exactly. <laughs> I, I went through this terrible postpartum depression for about two or three weeks. I didn't want to get off the couch.
1: I I couldn't. I felt the same way. I'm like, "What do I do now?" And I had the bakeries, and I had to go and. And spend time at the bakeries. Um, But I kept feeling like I'd given up this thing, which had become a part of me. And I even said to Christy, my co-author, can I get it back so that I can make a couple more changes and then we'll slip them in and maybe they won't even notice? And she said, no, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's done. Yeah. It's done. So you have an interesting bit of history. You clobbered Bobby Flay in his own show, Throwdown, where he challenged you to a friendly bake-off and you won with that delicious-looking sticky bun. Yes. Right? Yes. Now, first of all, I've, I've always wanted to ask you this since I've seen it. There's that commercial on television where this one woman has a bakery and it's very disorganized. It's for staples. Have you I seen I just that? saw
1: that. And she's Asian. <laughs> exactly. And she
0: can't get anything organized. Right. <laughs> and in organizing, she finds this great <laughs> recipe that she had lost when i one of the baking challenges and won and business picked up. Right. Did I you s- ever think that was based on you?
1: You know, it's so funny because one of my bakers, about two weeks ago, said, Joanne, have you seen this commercial? I said, what are you talking about? And about a week ago, I saw it. And I said to Christopher, look at that. I think it's based on me. I think
0: it's based on you.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't think I was disorganized
0: before. (laughs) may not have been, but Staple has to sell sell things. So So talk to me a bit about how they approached you and how that whole experience went down.
1: Well, people ask me all the time if it's staged, and it is not. It is exactly as you see you on the TV show. You were surprised when he walked in. I was floored. The, the Food Network called and said, we are interested in filming a pilot episode of a new series called The Science of Sweets. And I thought, what a great idea. That's fabulous. <laughs> um, and wow, I get to be in it. That's even better. Um, and so they said, we're going to need two days of your time. We're going to film, you know, the pilot and then do something else. And I said, fine. So I blocked off these two days. The first day, literally for a whole day, probably about 10 hours, it was just me and a bunch of TV cameras and producers and, you know, all the all the people that are involved filming a TV show, mm-hmm. and it was me talking about the science of sweets, and I did a lot of um, you know fun little clips for commercial breaks and everything. So by the end of the first day, I am convinced that I am going to be the pilot episode of the science of sweets. Right. So then they say, okay, tomorrow what we'd like to do is show you teaching sticky buns, um, because that was the the featured item in the the pilot episode, we want you to teach sticky buns to a group of students that we are going to bring to your bakery, and I said okay, that's fine. So I got everything prepared, um, and I was teaching in front of a hundred kids that they had sh- literally bust in from Harvard. Wow. Yeah, at, at, at my bakery, um, and I'm in the middle of showing them, and this is all on camera, and I'm thinking this is part of the whole. So I'm talking about the science, I'm talking about you know all the <laughs> chemistry and making sure the proportions are right. And in the middle of the demonstration, all of a sudden, the entire audience starts to break out in in applause, like mad, crazy and you're applause. You're thinking they're
0: applauding science.
1: I'm thinking <laughs> I haven't done it. I, I haven't done anything yet. You got to hold on. <laughs> wait till I finish. Wait till I pull these out of the oven, and then you'll be really excited. What I didn't realize is Bobby Flay had walked in at that point. And so I looked up and he said, I'm here to challenge you to a throwdown. And literally that that phrase, might, you know, your jaw drops to the floor, I think that's what happened. I couldn't believe what was happening. In fact, they had to stop camera and explain to me that this is really indeed happening because I kept thinking,
0: what? There's... Why is he on this science <laughs> know, show? Exactly.
1: That's what I thought. I thought, no, 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 we're doing a science show. And he said, no, 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 we're doing throwdown. And I said, well, maybe we'll do that after. But now I'm doing a science show. So he, he, you know, he... Challenged me, um, and then we actually, and then they. It's it's actually as they show on the on the TV show. Um, he makes sticky buns. My sticky buns are already almost made. Um, they all go out to the audience to try, but there are two actual judges. And who are your judges? The judges were um, one person from the Phantom Gourmet, which is a local TV sure, show in Boston, yes. and then um, the head of culinary services at Harvard University. Okay. And it is a blind judging. They don't know whose is whose. They're not told at all. Um, and And then, so everybody tries the sticky buns. The judges get the sticky buns. And for the camera, you know, it's the last five minutes of the show. um, They put the judges in the center. They put me on one side, Bobby on the other. And then they announce the winner. And then they raise the hand of the winner. And so I, and, you know, you're sitting there wondering, are they going to raise my hand? Are they going to raise my hand? And my hand went up. So it was very exciting in the end.
0: So all the things they filmed on that first day. Did they use any of it?
1: They used it for the very beginning of the show because they, I think, they explained this is how we got Joanne to think that she was. Okay. So they did use a little bit of it, but.
0: But the the commercial bumps and things like that—they didn't use.
1: (laughs) They really (laughs) got you going. Yeah,
0: they really did. That's wonderful. So tell me, how has this changed the trajectory of your career and also your of what you want to do?
1: Well, it's it was pretty surprising to me. I mean, I'm not much of a, a TV person. I don't watch a lot of food TV, um, you know, and so I didn't really know the reach of Throwdown. The day that Throwdown was aired, they had told me, you know, Throwdown's gonna air, and I said, okay, so I told my staff, oh, by the way, you know, this show's gonna air. Right. Um, it was it. It was insane. The phones did not stop. Um, we have two phone lines, and usually, you know, one phone rings every you know half hour. But both lines were ringing off the hook. Um, our email, um, where you could uh, visit the website and then join our email list, was inundated immediately. Our emails went to you know a hundred new emails in your inbox saying, "People saying, do you ship sticky bonds? You know, where where can I get these sticky bonds?" It was insane. We went from making probably. 15 to 30 sticky buns a day to about three to 400 a day. And even then, it wasn't enough.
0: And is it remaining at that number now?
1: You know, it depends. They re-air the show every six months or so. And you get a new boost. Yep, and so then we get a little bit of a new boost. But it is the item that many people do come to Boston. When they're in Boston, they do come to Flower just to see the sticky buns, just to try them. So we do, we have increased production just to make sure that they can have them when they come. That's
0: wonderful. I have one last question going all the way back to when you started with your friend and having the Pop-Tarts on the bus, all the way to now to beating Bobby Flay. What do your parents think of, number one, your career and also of your treats that you're making?
1: (laughs) Um, My parents were definitely a little bit concerned when I switched careers. Sure. (laughs) Marvel. Exactly. Um, But uh, they were were still very supportive. Um, And I also had told them, you know, if this doesn't work out, I will go get a more traditional job, I promise. Um, now it's been, I think it's been about 18 years since I left consulting, and they couldn't be happier, and they are thrilled. Um, and the best thing is is that my parents, now when they come visit me, they definitely seem more concerned with finding out um, wh- where their hotel is in relation to the bakery versus <laughs> in relation to me, which I think is very funny.
0: And very telling.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, and,
0: and- what is your mom's favorite treat and your dad's favorite treat?
1: My mom's favorite treat is probably the pan raisin, which is my favorite treat as well. Mm-hmm. And my dad, when he comes, he always gets uh, the oatmeal cookie and the banana bread.
0: Okay. And are those less sweet treats?
1: Yes. You know, the the au raisin is sweet, but it's not crazy sweet. And the banana bread and the oatmeal raisin cookies, yeah, are not terribly sweet. That's That's a really good thought. I hadn't thought about that.
0: Interesting. Well... Once the snow melts and the weather gets warmer, I'm going back up to Boston, and you can expect to see me in one of your three flower bakeries. Uh, looking forward to being there again. And also, too, don't forget, you promised to teach me back in the kitchen about how to go through some of these uh, recipes and learn to be an apprentice, and I do want to do that. Maybe we'll do a, a podcast or we'll do some sort of video up there, I would too. love that. That'd that would be, be so much
1: fun. Yes, definitely.
0: So before we go, I do want to have a bite, at least of one or your treats, which is the Pop-Tart. I've been dying to try this, so here it goes. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> mmm. this is probably sounding like food porn, I realize. <laughs> oh, this is so delicious.
1: Thank you. And it's
0: not too sweet. And you're right, you can taste some of that salt in the crust. I have to have another bite. Wait, hang on. mmm. Mm. You should open a bakery. <laughs> That's great advice. Joanne, thanks for coming. It was a pleasure having you, and thank you for bringing these treats all the way from Boston for me.
1: You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
0: We've been chatting and eating with Joanne Chang, author of the book Flower, which is named for her three Boston bakeries. I'm David Leet from Leet's Culinaria. Tune in soon for another episode of our Author's Answer series that will always leave you hungry for more.